Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. It is so great to see you today. If you've known me for any length of time, you know that I have a tendency to have one of these or something like it in my hand, and, and usually in it is coffee. Uh, I've definitely been a coffee drinker for as long as I can remember. And I know I'm not alone in that. Coffee sales around the world seem to indicate that there are a whole slew of us that drink this on a very regular basis. My wife is also a coffee drinker, but we take our coffee very differently. If you ask my wife what enough milk is in her coffee, in her case, it's almond milk, um, she's going to say somewhere around half the cup is almond milk and half the cup is coffee. And that's just how she makes it. If you ask me how much enough milk is or sugar or anything other than coffee, uh, I'm going to say none. <laughs> Black coffee is good for me. It's enough. I don't need any more than that. But that brings me to the topic of what is enough, right? What is it? When it comes to your coffee, there's a whole slew of options out there. Starbucks has made billions and billions and billions of dollars out of trying to figure out and meet everyone's needs or desires. What is enough for them? What is enough almond milk or what is enough soy milk or oat milk or regular milk or half or skim or I mean the list goes on and on. What is enough in the way of size? What is enough in the way of flavors? They do tests and profiles and they introduce new things and and it's all because enough, the concept of what is enough or what is the right amount is really subjective. And in fact, it's subjective really in most corners of our lives. If you were to ask somebody if they have enough money, you could be talking about the same amount of money, raw dollars. If you ask two different people, you're probably going to get two different answers, right? One would say they have enough. They have enough to get by or they have enough to, to live out their dreams. And somebody else would say, no, I don't have enough. I need more. We have that with, with time too. Is it, do you have enough time to finish a test, for example? Well, I think that depends. It depends on a few things, right? Are you well-versed in the subject matter you're, you're taking on or working your way through, or is it a struggle for you? In, in which case, enough time is subjective. I think you can find yourself asking, do I have enough energy to make it through the day? Well, that depends on what you're gonna do today. If you're gonna run an ultra marathon, you probably need a slight bit more than going to what most of our jobs are. Enough is absolutely suggestive, subjective, and it's based on individuals and preferences and circumstances. Different people have different views on what enough really is, really about most everything in our lives. The concept of enough is also pretty versatile, right? If you if somebody says to you, I need enough, they're trying to convey to you this idea that they're falling short, right? Or that they have a basic set of needs or requirements. I need enough food to survive, right? I need enough clothing to make it in the winter. If somebody says I have enough, they're conveying to you that they're content, right? That they've got what they need. Those needs are are met and that they can make it through life or whatever situation they're in, whether it be taking that test or, or the energy they need to do the ultra marathon, whatever that is, they've got what they need. On the other hand, if somebody says, I've had enough, right? So you went from I need enough to I have enough to I've had enough. I've had enough is completely different, right? It's kind of, no, this is too much. I'm done with this. It conveys kind of this frustration that we're fed up to hear and, and this is just too
too much to deal with and usually is immediately followed by some kind of angry statement or response, right? Because we're right at the edge of what we're willing to deal with. In fact, it seems like today in, in, these, in, the, in our news and, and around the world and the people I converse with, I hear the phrase, I hear it used that way, the word enough as this sign of frustration more often than the first two, right? About it equating to a need or a current state. It's just angry oftentimes because we feel like we're fed up to here with whatever issue you're dealing with and whatever side of the issue you're on. And that's even the case for Christians, for followers of Jesus Christ, that we get seem to be getting more and more and more frustrated. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes if even as followers of Christ, that we often feel like we've had enough, like we're up to here, because we struggle to see Jesus as enough. Do we feel like we've had enough because we struggle to see Jesus as enough? Which brings us to our series that we're starting this week out of the book of Hebrews. In fact, it's called the book of Hebrews. And it's really about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the enoughness, if you would, of Jesus Christ. We're going to spend six weeks kind of going through who the author of Hebrews defines God as and kind of walk through the case that he lays out for why Jesus can, is, and should be enough. Enough for all of us to make it through this life. Enough for all of us to see the greater with a greater perspective. Enough for all of us to recognize that we are loved and filled and wholly only because he said we are, by the way, but to be whole if we're willing to let him be enough and to treat him as enough. It is only through Jesus that we can find meaning and redemption. We can only look to him for those things, but we try to look for it in so many other places. The author of Hebrews is unknown, frankly. Uh, There's a lot of scholarly theological debate about who wrote it and who who didn't write it or couldn't have written it. and, And some people get pretty passionate about it, but at the end of the day, we're not positive who wrote the, the, the book of Hebrews. We are confident that unlike some of the other letters in the New Testament, it wasn't written to a specific group of people. Like the, the letter to the Ephesians was written to the churches of Ephesus. It says that up front. More likely, the book of Hebrews was written to a larger group of people. In fact, chances are, because of some of the assumptions it makes, about a knowledge of Old Testament theology and Old Testament characters and references, it was probably written to those who would have been called Messianic Jews or those who were Jewish in their history and their background and their lineage, but are now have chosen to follow Jesus as the Messiah, have recognized him as the Messiah. It was likely written somewhere between 60 and 70 AD because there doesn't seem to be even the slightest reference to the fall of Jerusalem, and that was in 70 AD. But the author is concerned. He's concerned that Jesus' people, and if Jesus died in about 33, 34 AD, and this is 70 AD, you're talking about about a generation, right? About 35 years. He's concerned that Jesus' people are returning to a sacrificial system that truthfully they have might have forgotten that Jesus is enough 
that his arrival as Messiah signaled his identity and his value in the world and in their lives. So if you would, let's look at the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1 today. Seems like a good place to start. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 as the writer begins to lay out their case for who Jesus is and what the people of God at that time, and frankly now sometimes, need to remember he is. So if you, if you would, read along with me. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The, the, these verses right here and what they describe as, as to the character and, and identity of Jesus Christ really stands at the core of what it means to be one of his people, to follow Jesus, it's to recognize that he is part and parcel, the creator of all things. He is God himself. He speaks and has spoken. The author says here, he has spoken in the past through prophets and signs and, and through nations, right? His whole, his chosen people. And, and even through angels. If you look through the stories of the Old Testament, you know that. You know he has spoken through angels. And through the Torah, the law, the five original books of the Bible as given to Moses, Jewish um, history and lore tells us that likely Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament as they were given to him by God. But this message, the, the incarnation of Jesus, isn't the same as all those other ones. It is quantifiably different. It is so much more. And at the end of the day, it is sufficient. It is enough. He describes Jesus as being the very radiance of God's glory. That's, that's important for us to get here. That's not just a speaker for God, like a prophet. It's not just a king in the image of God, as David is described. It's not just an angel, and it's strange to say just an angel, right? Not just an angel sent by God. It is the very presence of God. John describes it this way in John chapter 14, verse 9. He says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. It's to say that if you are looking upon Jesus, upon the things that he is teaching and upon his very presence in your life, it is as though you are looking on God because you are looking at God. He is God. He is divine. He describes him here as the sustainer of all things. And this is really cool, by his word. And I almost want to say by a mere word. The, in the book of Genesis, we see that from the very beginning, it was God's word that had power beyond anything we could possibly imagine, right? He spoke the world into existence. He spoke into, into, into existence the stars and the moon and the, and the sun. He spoke into existence the seas and the lands and the animals. I mean, that's a powerful word. Words 
do have a lot of power, but not that kind of power, at least not human words. You know, we have a, a dog, her name is Ginger. And the exploits of Ginger are enough to both um, <laughs> give us things to laugh at and things to be utterly angry about, right? She's generally a really good dog, behaves well, listens well as a general rule, unless she sees our neighbor's cows. When Ginger sees the neighbor's cows, it's as though something snaps in her head and she takes off. We have had to pull her out of our poor neighbor's yard or lot twice now because she has crawled under the electric fence, by the way, just kind of going, uh, I don't care, <laughs> and started chasing the cows around the field. And I'll be screaming at her and Heather will be screaming at her and Josh, my son, will be out screaming at her going, come on. It doesn't matter what words I use or we use. She's not listening. Our words don't have that power, let alone the power to create the universe. And as much input and influence as prophets had and kings had and even angels had, the writer here wants us to be really, really clear, right? That this is not that. The disciples had to wrestle with that. In Mark chapter 4, they're in, the, they're in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a storm, and Jesus is asleep. <laughs> He's sleeping in the middle of it, and they're all, they're all afraid they're going to die. And they wake him up, and they're like, dude, can you stop this? And he just stands up, and in verse 14, he says, huh, I'm done. Or verse 13, he says, I'm done. Wins, stop. Finished, done. And all the rest of them are left going, who is this guy? Well, the answer is this. He is God. As Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And his words are unequaled in power. Nothing else is needed to add to them. They are enough because they are from God himself. Let's keep reading here. Pick it up in verse 5. It says this, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the son, you are the throne. God is forever and ever and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands and they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing you will roll them up like a cloak and they will be changed like clothing, but you are the same and your years will never end. Now to which, the angel, no, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make enemies, my, your enemies your footstool? Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? The series is all about the sufficiency of Jesus, that really the divinity of of Jesus. The audience of Hebrews needed to hear that, and quite frankly, in this in these trying times, so do we. So do we. He's really poignant here in verse 11. He says, look, in verses 11 and 12, he says, look, it's all going to wear out. It's all going to go by the wayside, right? 
the, the earth will cease to exist, right? The heavens and the works of your hands, all these miraculous things that you did, that you spoke into existence and that you formed will be gone. They will wear out like old clothes. They will be finished. But you won't. See, so all these other things we ask ourselves if we've got enough of, they will never, never be sufficient. They will never be enough. It's like chasing something you're never going to catch, right? If you love coffee, which I do, right? Coffee gets cold. It's never going to be hot enough and stay hot enough all the time. Too much coffee can actually kill you, right? Trust me, on my days off when I used to drink like a ton of it, um, I would get headaches and nausea. It's like being withdrawing from a drug, right? It's what it is. Coffee's never going to be enough. Money only goes so far. It cannot buy happiness. Yes, it can make your world easier. And no, you shouldn't say to yourself, well, I can get along completely without money and just give away everything. I don't recommend that. But I can say, if you're expecting it to make you happy, it will not. In and of itself, it will not. Money only goes so far. It will never be enough to give you joy. Health, the health that we have is a fragile and fleeting thing. It is wonderful in the moment, but it's not something that will always be enough. It will give way. It will fall short. No set of human laws is going to be enough to fix the world. The world is a broken place. It has fallen. We messed it up. And if we think that passing all the right laws or putting all the right people in the right positions is going to fix everything, it's not enough to fix everything. No nation, including this one that we are blessed to be a part of, to live in, is sufficient because it is not going to last forever. It is going to wear out like old clothes and be thrown to the side. None of this will be left except for the Lord. Only he remains. All of those other things that we look to, that we look to for purpose and meaning and comfort and safety, they will all be woefully insufficient. They will not be enough. And it doesn't matter how hard we chase them, they will not be enough. As author Robert J. Morgan says, and I love this, he says, without Christ, all is vanity even when it's easy. With him, all is well even when it's hard. Or I would say it this way, if Jesus is enough, then even when we've had enough, we can reside in and reflect his unique radiance. Jesus is enough. His divinity is enough. He is God incarnate. And he is the only thing that will carry you through life. He's the only thing that will bring you true joy. He's the only thing that will bring you peace. He's the only thing that will remain. Nothing else will get you there. It is my hope in this series that we kind of explore that. We explore his enoughness. Maybe we're going to make that a word now. We explore his, his enoughness, his sufficiency in our lives, and we learn to better embrace that in these times when it seems harder and harder to do so. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.